Hello and welcome to another podcast. We'll talk about motorsport. Today is episode 80, and you can see on the screen right now we have an industry spotlight today. We haven't done this in a while, so it should be really fun. I'm expecting this to be one of the top episodes of the year. So I hope you guys are ready. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome in Colton uh, Cranmore, my uh, always there co-host, uh, myself, Alex Harrington, and our guest, Matt Yost. How's it going, Matt? Poor Yost. Yost? <laughs> I've been saying Yost this whole time. You're not the first one, so no offense taken, man. All good. Uh, okay. All right. Well, so I tried to fix the intro music to where it wouldn't be so loud uh and it seems that the same problem is still occurring so i don't know if uh that is Streamyard or what so i apologize for that uh you're muted Colton. there we go i forgot i muted myself all right sorry uh, about that give me a second uh, you guys go ahead i gotta go let shine in the house because i accidentally took her house key to work ah, <laughs> that's a good way that's a good way to to sleep on the couch tonight like your Lock her out of the house. All right, well, uh, before we get started, I guess what you've been up to, Matt, this last week? Uh, busy week. Had a lot going on. Um, had a pretty poor race at Dover um, in the sim racing, but uh, it's to be expected from time to time. But uh, the highlight was I actually got to drive at Dover on Sunday with one of my best friends who went down and did some um, Rusty Wallace experience racing, a package okay. we bought for him. And so I jumped in while, while I was there, got a chance to um if you know get out on the concrete it was different i had not run on a uh, on a concrete surface before so um feeling the car hit the seams a little bit different um it's pretty cool then uh you know work is work and that's got to be done to pay the bills and then you asked me to come and do this and here we are all right well it sounds like you had a, a really good weekend so yeah uh, it was pretty good uh i mean what was that experience like uh what's it how fast were you able to go and uh, were you able to actually, you know, maneuver around cars or, or what was the whole experience like? Yeah, um, I've, uh, based on the profile picture you used, you can see that that's NASCAR racing experience. So um, I have to pay to race cars. They don't pay me to race cars, which, you know, I wish it was the other way around, but uh, it's it's um, it's a real well-run program. Um, both experiences are, are, they have their pros and cons for each, but you know, getting out, just getting into a race car, um, seeing it, smelling it, being a being a part of it, uh, sitting in a car by yourself, getting out on the track, uh, it's it's something that if you're a race fan, you got to go do. And if you do it, the number one tip is do the ride along. See what a race car feels like before you think you're going to go out there and be the second coming of Dale Senior, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson. You know, list goes on. Uh, so I signed up that day. Um, they extended the discount for being a past member, which was awesome. And uh, went out there. I don't I don't remember how many laps I turned. I think I think I signed up for 16 or so and probably ended up turning probably 20, 25. Uh, they're real good. If you catch lap traffic, they'll um, they'll move them left and low, let you pass on the high side. So and they count those as, quote unquote, caution laps. So your green flags count, your caution laps, they'll get you back up to speed. Oh, okay. And uh, so it's it's entirely worth it. Um, you know, if, if and if everybody participates the same way, you're all going to get your time on track. You're going to get your, you know, whatever experience out of it that you want. 
Um, you know, don't feel bad if, if a car goes by you. That's just the way it is. You know, if you haven't driven a race car before, it's really a different experience from the street or from um, from playing Sims. Or uh, I guess I can't say play Sims, it's play games, right? Race Sims, play games. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if, if you're if you're any kind of race fan, there is an experience out there for you to do. There are funny car, there are top fuel, there are NASCAR, there is Indy, there is F1, I'm even told. So um, if it's out there, there's an opportunity for you to go out and be a part of it. I recommend it. Hell yeah. Well, that's a hard to follow up uh, for what have we been doing all week. Uh, I bought the World of Outlaws game, uh, and I've been playing the absolute shit out of it all week. Um, so uh, <laughs> that's been my racing experience this week. What about you, Colton? What you been up to this week? Oh, uh, I've been selling quite a bit of stuff on eBay recently, so that's been keeping me busy, um, packing and shipping out stuff. Um, other than that, I had a good buddy, um, one of my best friends, come up and visit me for the weekend. Him and his uh, girlfriend came up and stayed with us. Other than that, just kind of hung out. Okay. All right. Well, sounds like we've been all common collective, yeah. unlike uh, this weekend in Las Vegas. So uh, let's go ahead and get into uh, Woker Joke. And uh, we're going to go pretty quickly through this one because uh, we got a lot more important stuff to talk about <laughs> with our guy Matt here. Uh, so if I can find. Well. Okay, I was going to put the banner up to say Walker Joke at the bottom, but I couldn't find it. So we got six of these today, three from each of the races. Uh, first of all, uh, Matt, I'm sure you understand how to do this. It's basically our version of spot on, spot off. Uh, if, you, if, if you like it, say woke. If you don't, say joke and why. Uh, and Colton's got us on putting up the uh, banner. Uh, Haley Diggin calls her shot for a top 15 in her first uh xfinity race and finishes 13th in her xfinity series debut uh woke or joke i gotta go with woke on that one um she's a she's a talent and uh besides being a very pleasant person you know someone else i got to i got to meet uh i think her talent is going to show through a lot more once you get into the full body cars again the trucks it seems like you know if you go out in the trucks you're really going to be dependent on the truck you get right or your starting position um, more of a beat bang series, more than the finesse of um, you know, Xfinity or Cup. So I think it was a great opportunity for her, and I think that she showed that she's got a lot of driving talent, kept it clean, kept it competitive, and you know walked away with a real good finish. I mean, top 20 would have been a win in my book for anybody in their first race in the Xfinity series, and uh, coming away in the top 15 is certainly an, uh, an achievement. Yeah. Yeah, right there with it. Uh, Woke, I think, um, like you said, I think her talent's going to show a lot more in the Xfinity series where she could drive the car and not have it be so aero-dependent like the trucks are. Um, and racing around, you know, people with more respect and, you know, kind of a little bit more finesse themselves and not have to beat and bang so much. So complete Woke on it. I think she did great. Um, can't wait to see her score first top 10 here, hopefully this next season. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I don't want to echo your points too much because I agree with them, but I will bring this one up. Uh, the 07 car, obviously Cole Custer uh, won in that car uh, earlier this year at Fontana. That was a Stuart Haas prepared car. I do not think Stuart Haas actually prepared the 07 for this weekend. So not only is she taking a uh, Xfinity debut for a 13th place position, she took a car that is probably not a top 10 car, 
and got a 13th with it. So uh, I think I was expecting uh, 15th to 25th, and she out. She she outdid my expectations. Uh, and all the stuff about the truck series, you guys hit the nail on the head. So I think we can go ahead and skip on to our next one, uh, and that is Josh Berry sweeps Las Vegas in 2022. So woke or joke? Woke for me. Josh Berry is a shoe. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of people that don't follow the grassroots racing that haven't seen, you know, his accomplishments all through the um, super late model series and, you know, running across the country on the short tracks are seeing it now. He's uh, he's an unbelievable driver and this opportunity couldn't be better for him. Um, you know, it would be great if uh, if the charters weren't 30 million bucks a piece and Junior could afford one because I think he'd be someone that they'd consider putting up into the Cup Series and showcase his talent even more. But um, great driver, great shoe, and just he's showing it. It's just awesome yeah. he's getting this chance. Yeah, 100% woke. Um, I mean, I I wish there were Josh Berry's. I wish guys like uh, Doug Kobe, um, Justin Bonsignor, guys like that, got a chance to really showcase their talent in NASCAR. Um, you know, and – there was a time when that was possible, but unfortunately, money-wise, it's not so much the case unless you're Josh Berry and you make friends with Dale Jr. on iRacing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, that's pretty um, much it. Not woke. I mean, guy's a wheel man. Um, I saw him win last year at Vegas. He's he's gonna be hard to beat there for years to come. Yeah, uh, we talked about that before we got on. Uh, it's third straight race that he's done there, and third straight win. Um, you can't you can't beat that. Um, and they've definitely not been the fastest of the uh, JRM crews. So coming out there and, and waxing Noah Gragson's ass uh, is is proof to show that uh, Vegas is his house. He might not be a Bush, uh, and, but uh, I think I think he's more of a hometown hero in Vegas than Noah Gragson is. So, yeah, woke for me on that as well. And continuing with the JRM train, the JRM cars run one, two, and three at Vegas. Uh, and for the Walker joke part of this statement, they will lock out the championship four. Um, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's woke for me. It's, they are, you know, they've been top performing cars all year long. They have top talent. They have top equipment. They have top crews. Um, it's going to be really hard to displace them. They, they have a, such a great program and they're a team, you know, they, they show that they're a team. Not unlike um, when you see colleague drivers do well, the entire team celebrates together. JRM celebrates together. You know, it's not a, you know, the the eight car is our number one car. The nine cars are number one car. There's four number one cars in that stable. So it's going to be hard to displace them from the top four spots. Yeah. Well, technically, there's only one number one car in this stable. <laughs> yeah. Technically. Uh, um, I don't know. I see Gregson getting in just because of the massive lead he's got. I don't think Allgaier is going to be able to squeeze in. I think it's going to be too competitive for him. Um, if they can, 100% woke. I'd love to see it be done. Um, I just don't know if, if they'll get there. That's, I mean, you're so, asking a lot. So you're thinking the statement is joke then? I, I would say it's probably joke. Yeah. Yeah, I think the statement itself is a joke as well. Um, it's interesting. They could do it uh, coming out and showing out for, for one race at – a track where you've got a driver that has won the last three times is, is not enough for me to say that they can lock out the championship four. Plus you got to deal with two guys that are just absolute bulldogs in that series. And that's Ty Gibbs and 
just uh just uh just now guard uh AJ Almendinger. Um so I'm thinking that we see Noah Gregson get in, but I don't think that Sam Mayer and Justin Algar have the ability to do it this year. So all right, moving on to Sunday. Um let's start with track house racing. Uh Phenomenal event from them uh, for for the one car. However, they gave Suarez this. Uh, this was quoted from TobyChristie.com, the fastest car on Sunday. Uh, but he had pit road issues yet again. So pit road issues for Suarez. Walker Joe. So I agree that uh, that's a you know that's a woke thing for me that. That car was was bad fast. The, the ninety nine was just, I mean, and and the one. I mean, each each of them, you know, they had a little bit of a lull in the past couple of weeks. I think people got a little tired of um of Ross kind of having his way, and maybe he took his foot off the gas a little bit figuratively. But the past few weeks, they've really kind of put the pedal back down, and the ninety nine was going to be hard. I think it was going to be hard to beat if they kept the track position. Unfortunately, lost it on pit road, and I mean, we know. That you lose track position in a series like that, it's real tough to get it back. Um, you're gonna flip the stage. What are you, what are you gonna do to get yourself back into the conversation, even if you have a car that fast? Um, did it manage it well? Um, well, for as much as he could, but yeah, um, yeah, you got you got to keep that track position. You get you're, you're gonna you're gonna win and lose. Um, you know, based on on your crew's performance, it's a total team effort. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um. You got if you're going to be a championship caliber team, you, we got to clean up the pit road mistakes. Um, however, I mean, Daniels drove his ass off these last few weeks, too. And if they did give him the fastest car, damn it, if that wasn't the fastest car on the entire track, yeah. um, man, he was flying. Um, joke on the team issues, woke on the speed. Um, just to echo Matt's point, I mean, man, they've been incredible these last couple weeks. Both cars have. Um, I'm really impressed with how fast track houses moved from a brand new team two legit championship contenders. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to go joke as well. Um, I'm not saying this as a Bias Suarez fan, but I am saying this as a Bias Suarez fan. Um, it seems like this whole year, Ross Chastain has stole the thunder off of that 99 team, uh, basically uh, built that program up from the ground around Daniel Suarez, um, and Travis Mack has sprouted into one of the best crew chiefs in uh, in the series, um, and it all comes down to a few mishaps on pit road uh, to keep him out of victory lane two or three times this year. Um, and he's had the opposite of that golden horseshoe that Jimmy Johnson had for the majority of his career. Uh, he found whatever the opposite of that was, and they've been hanging that on the uh, on the dash every week, it seems. Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a joke. Uh, it's it's frustrating um, as one of my top three drivers to see him constantly outperform uh, Ross Chastain every other week, and then Ross just doesn't have the bad luck. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be biased, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, let's move on to uh, our next one, and that is the first five races of the playoffs were won by non-playoff drivers, and the last. Three have been, and I may have mistaked that for the past, the first four races. So my yep. bad. Um, so I want to know: Is this a Walker joke statement? The playoff eligible drivers will lock out the wins for the final three races. 
if it is a joke, then obviously state who's going to take the checkered flag. Man, that's a tough one. Um, I think about that one. Um, so you're saying who's going to take the who's going to be the final four championship teams? Well, we uh, no, the it, are the playoff eligible drivers going to mm-hmm. lock out the next three race wins? Uh, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Um, joke. I think I think that there's so much parity out there. I think that there's so much hunger to win that you're going to see these teams keep overachieving. And it's not overachieving. It's it's a well, quote unquote level playing field of, of having that car. Of course, you're still going to have your top teams performing at the top level. They can afford the talent. They can afford, you know, to find those gray areas where you can get a couple extra horsepower or a couple, you know, advantage points on the on the arrow deal. So that's still going to shine through. But, you know, any given time, you got people making mistakes, get caught up in someone else's bad move. And it can happen. It's not stealing wins. These guys are racing hard and there's a, there's a lot of money on the line, you know, to get to the top spot. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of pride at stake, a lot of owner's points and, you know, jumping up one position in the standings for the end of the year is, is pretty significantly financially, you know, serious. So uh, no, these guys are, you know, on the other days when you were coasting to the finish line, not anymore. Um, They're, they're pushing hard. So I see, um, I see non-playoff drivers definitely getting some wins here to finish out the season. So who and where would you would you say? Oh, um, I think Kyle's hungry. I think the 18 finds victory lane. Um, I definitely think that um, – let's see, who else could we put up there? Um, man, there's guys that have been close. Uh, Tough to even pick one right now. I would definitely say the 18 is definitely on my radar to to get one more win this season. Okay. Um that's probably my number one pick that would that would get a win. And then and where? Um I'll see Homestead. So see if oh now you can pick Kyle Larson since he's yeah. uh since he's out of the playoffs. So Kyle Larson probably has a good day, you know, bounce back day at Homestead. He's tough to beat there. Uh the momentum's in the high line right up right up against the wall. He's been doing it. He's made been made a career out of doing that. So uh, everybody's got to follow suit. And if you're not comfortable running that wall, you better get comfortable because that's where the speed appears to be. And uh, so yeah, maybe the five takes Homestead and Phoenix. Um, you know that's been a that's been a chase track. But you know he's already, you know, what will he be locked in? I don't know. But that's a tough tough place to beat the nine. I think that is a. The whole playoff drivers will win these next three races or two races um, is a joke. I think Tyler Reddick kicks all of the absolute ass at Homestead. Okay. I think oh, yeah. he is fast there. That eight team has had so much speed these last few weeks. They just won Texas a few weeks ago. Um, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be in victory lane this next weekend. There, If I had money to gamble this weekend, I'm putting 40 bucks on the eight car. Okay. All right. I, I can see that. Uh, so for me, this one's hard, right? Because uh, you can you can say William Byron is definitely probably going to take the cake when it comes to Martinsville. You probably see uh, a Chase uh, or a William Byron or a Denny Hamlin take the championship if they're in the championship four um, by winning the race. Uh, Homestead is, is the weird one for me because – you guys have said eight car. You've said the five car. 
uh, the 18 showed a lot of prowess at the mile and a half. Toyota in general has been mile and a half cars. You know, we could still see uh, the 45 win this weekend, even though Bubba's not behind the wheel. John Hunter Nemechek could do it. Uh, I don't think Ty Gibbs is there, uh, but he could do it. And then the guy that hasn't had a win yet this season, Martin Truex Jr., I think will be the spoiler. So I'm going to have to go joke, and we will not see three straight wins from three straight playoff eligible drivers. Uh, And to finish off Wilker Joke, this finish at Las Vegas was the best mile and a half slash intermediate finish of the year, Wilker Joke. I'm going to have to go joke on that one. Um, I thought Atlanta was a heck of a race. And probably one of my favorite races this year was um, Nashville at Super Speedway. Um, that was a that was a heck of a race, I thought personally. So, um, yeah, joke for me. Hmm. Are we are we <laughs> counting Darlington? Is <laughs> a mile? Yeah, it, it's not really an intermediate, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, I. I mean, it I could be. Say, what about Michigan? Michigan, yeah. Um, mile and a half, Michigan, Fontana. Uh, and, I mean, he said Nashville. Oh, so. Fontana, too? Yeah, definitely Fontana. So, yeah, Joe. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think Fontana was probably one of the better ones this year. Um, yeah, Michigan was a damn good finish, too. But this, don't get me wrong, this one, this last weekend, was definitely up there. Like, that, I don't, that was a hard question. Yeah. I don't like Joey Logano, but I'm going to have to say woke to this statement. I thought that was the best – Finish we've had to a race this year on a mile and a half just because it was it was it was clean kind of that mid range run it was clean and we saw we saw guys with tires be able to defend their position for a little bit so it was yeah. it was very it was very fun and old school to me to watch so maybe it wasn't maybe it wasn't the the best finish of the year as far as you know closest or most action packed yeah, yeah. but for me it was the most well rounded. So I would use best in that in that way. That makes sense. Well, that's it for Walker Joke. Um, So let's go ahead and get into the spotlight. Uh, So this is kind of a split 50-50 fan spotlight and industry spotlight. So um, we'll start with the hardest question we ask everybody, Um, and that is take away the racing, take away your job, whatever. Who is Matt Yost? Um, a guy that works probably too much, much to the chagrin of my wife. Um, she could probably stand to see more of me at home. You know, all the things I say I'm going to do that I don't do because I'm always out, uh, working places. I, uh, full time, I work as an engineer for Pratt and Whitney. So that's, um, that's the pay the bills job. And then, you know, I got the, um, the speedway that's a, you know, seasonal Friday night deal. Uh, um, I teach firefighting at the um, Hartford County Fire School that's over near the airport. And also um, work as a, oh, worked, volunteer as a volunteer for the uh, for the fire department. So a um, lot of obligations that uh, keep me busy. Uh, I, I talked and walked my way into uh, New Hampshire uh, last year. It was actually the first time that I, that I worked down there on pit road. But um, walking is, you know, taking the race and stuff away. Uh, one of my big passions is actually flying. Um, I'm a licensed okay. pilot. Got my uh, got my pilot's license back in uh, in college back in like '99, I think it was, that I did that. So haven't flown in a in a bunch of years. Um, 
love to get back into it. Was going to before the uh, the pandemic hit, so that's something that I'm looking to uh, you know to get back into. And I've got some buddies that are flight instructors. I can get my um, my reviews done, get my physical done, and hopefully get back up into the air because it's uh, it's a surreal experience just being able to you know get yourself off the ground, being in a small plane. The views, the uh, just the experience of being by yourself in flight is it's pretty awesome. So something that, uh, you know, I was pretty proud of back in the day to get that done. Um, there's a rich history in my family of flying. Um, so that was really cool for me to have done in my lifetime. Okay. I mean, do you, can we, uh, this is exactly why I asked this question because I had no idea that you had a pilot's license, yeah. even though, we, you know, we race on iRacing together and everything. <laughs> so it's perfect to bring stuff up like that. Um, so let's go ahead and expound upon that. So, um, how did you get into flying? I mean, you said your family, um, kind of explain some of that stuff, kind of, kind of give us a, uh, I guess, a roadmap to, to how flight uh, is kind of ingrained in, in your family. Yeah, sure. Um, my father was in the army. He serviced, um, airplanes, worked on airfields, um, okay. while he was deployed overseas, um, Italy, my grandfather, uh, he worked on planes and, um, did a lot of, uh, did a lot of transport flying um, in the, um, I'm not even sure which which conflict it was to be honest, but I've always been one of those people that a uh, plane flies overhead and I'll probably stop what I'm saying and, and look up and uh, watch it fly by. There's a small town airport where uh, where I grew up, um, Ellington Airport, that's popular for um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's a, uh, it's a very highly regarded helicopter school and they have a very highly regarded uh, parachuting program. So the very busy little airport and, you know, I, I couldn't just go outside and, and see planes, you know, almost all day long flying, dropping um, parachutists and seeing the helicopters fly by. So uh, always had that, just that inkling of, um, you know, flight and the, the fascination with being able to just leave, leave the ground, you know, and, yeah, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, got into college, um, studying aerospace, aerospace um, engineering. My one of my good friends that um, became one of my fraternity brothers and my roommate was a pilot and did a lot of flying. Um, flew banner tow planes. Is still a pilot. Is actually a captain for Continental, I believe, or United. So uh, he got me involved with a local airport down there, and being an employee, I had time to kind of talk to all the instructors and could ask a lot of bunch of questions, which is kind of in my nature anyway, um, related to my field. So uh, it was just a natural progression to just uh, work out the financials and start, you know, start from pilot training and flying little Cessna 150s and 152s where uh, my instructor and I couldn't even sit side by side. You kind of had to do the shoulder turn um, to, to fit inside the, the fuselage. Well, I mean, you're a pretty big guy though. So. Yeah. I am. I am. Granted, um, he was much smaller. So uh, once he got tired of sitting this way, you'd switch. And um, yeah, so that was like I said, that was just amazing to, to, to do that accomplishment. That was big for me to see that one through, um, get my license and then be able to take up family and friends both down in, uh, in Florida. And then when I you know, when I moved back here, back home, being able to rent planes and and take people out, it's uh it's, it's a whole different experience from when you fly commercially. You know, you're basically in a bus. You see the ground go by really fast on takeoff and landing, but the rest of the time it doesn't feel like you're doing much at all. Yeah. Um, 
from this perspective, you can look around, you know, see what's around you, see landmarks. You're not flying as high at times. So um, it, it puts it into perspective, you know, what it's what it's like to just go up there and get that view and, and look around. And that's tough to beat. Okay. Yeah, well, I am kind of envious of you. I've always been. <laughs> I've always been really into planes. I don't know how many air shows I've been to in my life, but oh, yeah. I'm always fascinated by whatever it is. It's not just the demos of like the F-22 or the F-18 or ooh, the Blue Angels and stuff. I mean, it's the stunt stuff, being able to go up and look inside of planes and stuff. Like like uh, one of my favorite planes is uh, the C-5, like a big cargo plane. You can drive Humvees and tanks into it. So, uh, so we, uh, I live in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We have a okay. pretty big air base here. There's always sure C-130s and stuff flying around. Um, and I I used to work at a Western store downtown, and we we got a ton of tourists there. And I used to always tell the tourists that I can tell exactly who's a tourist at any given moment by whether or not they stop and watch the plane. So you, Very, very good indicator. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned watching the planes. Yeah, you just drown them out living here. But, yeah, that was always one thing I thought of. Yeah, um, I, I still do it, you know. Um one of the tracks is on my bucket list is Las Vegas. I couldn't care what happens down in the casinos. I want to go to the racetrack and I want to go across the street and I want to watch planes take off at Nellis. And that's really all, all that I want to do there. Um, I'm fortunate to work, you know, for, for Pratt. Um, I work in the F-35 engine program. So um, it's, you know, they say that if you do a job you love, you don't work a day in your life. And um I'm about 50-50 on that. I do love some days and I don't love some days, but working in the industry is is cool. It's just it's just awesome to know that something that I have my hands on is something that's out there, you know, protecting our freedom and keeping pilots safe and and all that kind of stuff. That's uh that's near and dear to me. How is working for Pratt and and are you building the F-35 engines or are you just doing like, what are you doing? Because you just dropped another bomb on me, and now I'm really interested. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, so the easiest way I can describe my job is that way back in the day when you could work on your own cars, you would go to the store and buy the Chilton's manual. And the Chilton's manual would tell you how to literally take your entire car apart and how to put it back together. So my job is to make the Chilton's manual for the F-35 engine. We write the technical data for the crews to overhaul and repair um inspect overhaul and repair the engines out in the field wow okay so that's that's wild yeah. I'm, I'm like i'm like really impressed i'm sitting here over here i'll make water for a living this dude's putting engines in in uh, yeah. f-35 water man so we need you <laughs> yeah i know <laughs> that's crazy and then and then uh and then uh, we got a fellow government uh, employee under us, yeah. uh, government government manufacturing employee. Yeah, yeah. So I work with Magpul, and we do a lot of stuff with, you know, obviously military and just gun parts and stuff. But nothing, nothing cool. as cool as working on a or writing a manual for a jet engine. Like that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can cool. brag sometimes. Um, you know, like the flyover at New Hampshire this year was the F-35s from Vermont. So uh, in the pit stall I was in, I tapped the guy on the shoulder and said, "Hey, you see those?" Yeah, I do the engines for those, and they're kind of like, "Wow, that's that's impressive." And and it's it's not to brag, but it's just it's just cool to look up and see that, and you know, know that you have some small part of of that plane and, and its operation. That is that is wild. That is incredible. 
Um, that is so cool. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, let's let's kind of swing back to the racing stuff. So you talked about your family being uh, uh, pilots. You talked about you know working on planes and stuff. That's obviously a familiar trajectory. Um, it's kind of just what you do. Uh, for me, uh, the reason that I got into racing was because my dad worked at racetracks. I worked at racetracks behind him. How did you get into racing? So my father was um, owned a race car at Stafford with um, his buddy Greg, um, whom has sadly passed. But uh, they had a um, like a late model sportsman, a Chevy 2 Nova, probably I'm going to guess back in probably 70, 72 uh, time frame. So they uh, they raced there. Um, I think they had like one or two feature wins ever. But, you know, it was um, it was it was that. So, you know, he was firmly ingrained in racing and had it in his blood. So, you know, when I come along, um, I can remember and here I go start dating myself. I can actually remember watching broadcasts of um, of races. And I latched on to Bill Elliott probably in like the 1984, 85 was um, when I really started to understand racing that was on TV. You know, it wasn't broadcast nearly as um, with all the fanfare like it has now. Obviously, didn't have the Internet and everything back then, but um, just fascinated with how fast the cars could go. And um, hearing him tell stories about, you know, the days of, um, you know, when he worked at the newspaper and interviewed drivers out of Stafford and, um, you know, all the names that you hear now. And uh, like when you heard Mike Joy on the download and talking about getting a start, you know, back Riverside Park and Stafford Speedway and stuff like that. So those are um, all the park, you know, God rest its soul. It's now a, a roller coaster. But, um, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, the area it was rich with uh, short track racing and getting into it, you know, in the in the early 80s. So, like I said, I latched on to Bill. I've been an awesome Bill fan uh, my whole life. Uh, the Coors 9 was just so recognizable to me. He wins the championship. That was a big, you know, big moment. Um, and even later career, you know, he got hooked on to the Dodge deal. And that's the time I started selling cars that I was working for Dodge. And um, all that promo stuff was kind of happening at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it's it, and then um, video games, you know, way back when, you know, I'm playing um, pole position on Atari and I like that. And then you progress through Nintendo, Super Nintendo and um, then into PC gaming and, and racing and stuff. So uh, if it goes fast and it's, um, you know, and it's it's competitively raced, I'm all for air races, boat races, car races. You know, if, if it's out there and it's um, it's something to get involved in, then then I'm a fan. Um, I love the engineering aspect of it. I love the uh, the competitive nature of um, of all that stuff. So racing just appeals to me. It's um it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's tough to not, you know, everybody's got their place where they're like truly happy. And, you know, I went, you know, when I was in Dover last weekend, we came in the backside, never been on that side of the racetrack walking across the footbridge. It was just so cool to see a race car shoot underneath you while you're standing there watching it. And uh, yeah, if you can't, if you don't get goosebumps doing that, I, I there's nothing for you for racing. That's, that's, that's just the best. It's so yes. great. I've always wanted to do that, but I've also been lucky enough to be on the flag stand at a bunch of different racetracks uh, with my dad or by myself. I'm telling you, um, I mean, I got I got Colton up there for the Legends cars. Uh, he was a little bit sketched out by the very yeah. nice 
uh, flag stand at Atlanta Motor Speedway. <laughs> but I got to tell you, when there are 26, 28 super late models looking <laughs> you dead in the eye and you're ready to, to put the flags up and they hit the loud pedal and you throw that, that rag in the air, there's not a better feeling. So I know when you're saying standing above a race car coming under you, Oh my God. I love that. Like you just brought back so many memories for me. Yeah. I'd be all about the flag stand. I mean, that's, you know, there's, there's what better seat in the house do you have than an overhang over the cars? Like you said, you drop that green flag on the initial start and every single person in that place is on their feet. The energy is as high as it's going to be. And everybody's just mashing the gas under you. And that's just got to be cool. But, you know, oh, just, so there you go. You're jealous of my F-35s. I'm jealous of you being up in the flag stand. Okay. Yeah. It's fair. Colton, yeah. you got anything for him? No, I do. Uh, you just reminded me. I need to talk to you about lessons because I'm going to start flagging this next year at the track okay. here in Cheyenne. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Well, that's a really neat. Um, I you said a lot about those tracks around you. You, you said, um, you know, progressing on the, the broadcasting side of being able to see more and more races uh, from, from the 80s and on. Um, I do want to go ahead and ask you um, if you went to all of those short tracks as a kid or was that something later in life? I've been to, um, you know, my, my dad, even some, I went with some of my friends to Riverside Park. Um, I had no appreciation then. I was too young to understand, again, all the legends that had rolled through that place and the quality of racing. Now I have to watch it all in archive footage, but it's still super interesting to me to see um, how they set those cars up for the, uh, you know, for that quarter mile. And the guys that were fast there were just blisteringly fast, um, impressively fast. Um, and, you know, money, money talks and over time, you know, when Riverside sold out to the Six Flags and, the, um, you know, its days were numbered. It was going to it wasn't going to be something for them and kind of went by the wayside. But um, Stafford, same thing I've been to as a kid. I think my first races there were probably in the late 80s. Um, yeah, definitely the late 80s were the first time that I that I got to actually be a be a fan. And that was the first track that I really started to understand, you know, um, different types of race cars, you know, at that point. I thought that, you know, Winston Cup was the only thing that, that raced. That was race cars. You know, when someone said race cars, like someone says soda and everybody thinks that Coke is soda. Soda is Coke. So, yeah, um, yeah, race cars were just the Winston Cup then. And I didn't know that there was um, late models and street stocks and modifieds. And um, I thought modifieds were the craziest thing ever. I thought they were just look like race cars that had everything just ripped off them. You know, like yeah. some of the cars looked after wrecks on the racetrack. I didn't know that they were purpose built for that. So um, definitely the late 80s and then the early 90s was when I really, you know, jumped two feet in and was more of a fan myself. You know, took myself to the racetrack and then, uh, you know, go up to one of New Hampshire. 94 was the first year of the cup races. Uh, the first cup race I saw was probably in 90, I want to say 95 or 96. I didn't get to see. The first, um, actually, it might have been 92 was the first cup race in New Hampshire. I'd have to go back and double check that. But, um, you know, I'd be up there to watch the Xfinity or the Bush the Bush races and the modified races there. And you could see like cup happy hour. So that was the first time I actually got to see cup cars in person. And um, it was it was hard to describe seeing them for the first time live and coming off pit road and just, you know, hitting the throttle and. Watch them go around the racetrack. That was uh, 
you would have thought I was at the race, you know, for practice. I, I couldn't have been more interested. So, uh, and then the addiction was on from there. It's, it's just been, uh, you know, it's something that I really enjoy now. Yeah. I, I can't fault you for that. I wish I could, uh, I wish I could remember the first time that I went to a, a NASCAR race. Um, I think probably Colton, uh, you went when, how are you? 20. I was 20, it was 23 when I went to my first NASCAR race. Yeah. So I wish I could as, as a functioning brain have, have seen my first racing because I think I would have enjoyed it more. I don't even have memories of my first time at a racetrack uh, because I was so young. So I'm kind of envious of you guys because I, I think of myself right now as the passion I've got and, and just how technically my brain thinks when going to a racetrack, I couldn't imagine being able to use what's in my head right now for the first time and how just bombarded I would have been by, by what was going on in front of my eyes. So I think that's really cool um, that you got to enjoy it first. Um, I mean, it kind of also sucks that the the Northeast didn't have NASCAR races up until the nineties, but it's pretty cool that you got. Well, I mean, they it. did. So, you know, mm -hmm. there was, there was times that, you know, the Yarboroughs, the Earnhardt's, the Petties, they all competed at tracks like Thompson and um, Stafford and stuff like ASA cars and you know, the, the one-off shows, but I didn't ever go to those. I didn't, I didn't have an appreciation for guys that would, you know, race at the top level and then come and race at the short tracks more like you see now, which I think is just, I think that is the greatest thing for um, promoting the, uh, the sport is to get the names to the short tracks and be available, you know, let, let fans be a fan, come in, come and see what you're, what you're really like, you know, showcase your personality, showcase why they should come, and spend their hard-earned money on a, you know, on a race weekend at whatever track across the country. Yeah, I think we can all agree with that. Uh, <laughs> apparently, I was almost two years old, uh, hollering at Mark Martin for the Bush race in March of 1997. So there you go, guys. I, I don't remember that, but apparently that was my first race. Um, so I guess, I guess moving along in, in inside of kind of your 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 story. Um, when it comes to racing, let's take a little bit of a lighter, uh, I guess, easier track. Um, this is something that we always do. Uh, Nathan uh, Ball, our other host, he is a medical student, um, and this semester has been really rough on him, so he's not been out on most of our shows since the beginning of the semester. He always asks the same five or six questions to every person that comes on here. So it's basically, what are your favorites? Uh, so I'm going to go favorite racetrack, favorite paint scheme and favorite race that you've been to or watched first. Uh, and we already know your favorite driver, uh, Bill Elliott and has that changed. all time. <laughs> so favorite track, um, probably there was a time where I would have said New Hampshire was my favorite track because it was, you know, my local track. But as I've gotten to, you know, in the time that I spent working in pit crews or, or doing different things. I got to see a lot of different short tracks and, um, you know, just got the opportunity recently to see Bristol for the first time, my own two eyes. Um, so I might, I might have to actually say Bristol, the okay. experience of being there, uh, the people, the people are um, just unbelievably rabid, passionate race fans. And I'm not saying that other tracks aren't, um, I'd say New Hampshire probably has the best camping experience probably on the, on the schedule. Um, and I've, I've heard that from other people, you know, that's not a biased opinion, but the, the way Bristol 
just sort of the way it exists and the way as soon as you step onto the property, not even then. I mean, as you're driving up to it, you see this colossus, massive thing in the distance. And, you know, it's a half mile track. I go to a half mile track on every Friday. Yeah. But to see the facility that is is around this track and the atmosphere of being there, um, you know, you've, you've been to racetracks and you go to the racetrack. It doesn't matter what your demographic is, who you are. Everybody's friends at the racetrack because you're all there to do the same thing. You want to watch racing, yell at your least favorite driver, yell for your favorite driver, um, probably enjoy a bunch of adult beverages and just detach yourself from reality for a few hours and watch the race cars. Um, the environment, the the sound of cars inside Bristol was second to none. Uh, just a natural amplified sound of, uh, of 40 race cars. Um, you know, with the, with the way the cups car sound now was, it was totally, totally unreal. Um, yeah. I gotta get out there. The side. <laughs> um, just being there, being out. I got a chance to go outside and, and see the start of the race, uh, walked around the facility a bunch, saw where the drag strip was, um, truly an, uh, an awe-inspiring place. Daytona is a close second because of the rich history of, of the track. Um, I do love New Hampshire. I love, you know, being up at, at that Stafford Speedway. Um, but if I had to put one at the top, top, yeah, I'm going to go Bristol. All right. All right. Um, what about favorite race that you've been to or watched? Man, so if you want, if you want to say Bristol this year when you went, we, we we're going to talk about that later in the in the episode. We could just go with, I guess, what was your favorite NASCAR race you've seen on TV? I'm trying to think of my favorite, um, the one that really that really sticks out um, was Alan Kowicki winning the championship. Um, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget, you know, understanding that there's this guy that, you know, he turns his own wrenches. He owns his own team. He calls his own shots. He drives his own race car, uh, you know, very exacting, very demanding uh, personality. And he goes out there and shows up, you know, all the quote unquote, all the big teams. And, you know, Bill Elliott, I remember winning the championship. I remember, uh, yeah, Alan uh, Kowicki's. So those were probably the two races that, you know, if, if I really go and I've seen so many, I've seen so many in person. I've seen so many on TV. Um, Tony Stewart winning the championship was at an interesting point in my life where uh, things were kind of down. Um, I am a big, big Tony fan. And when he uh, when he took it to the rest of the field and just won those, you know, won those all those races in a row. And, you know, him and Carl battling really right down to the one two finish. You know, after taking damage earlier in the race at Homestead, uh, yeah, that's that's in a that's top five too for me all time. Okay, I gotta I gotta stop you right there, and I gotta say for anybody who's in NASCAR listening, notice the two, notice the two races that he said where when points formats were not crazy, <laughs> they came down to the wire naturally, and we say it every single episode on this podcast. But I want you to hear it from a guy who's been watching for way longer than any of us. 92 and 2011 were his two of his top five favorite races. Yeah. That's, that's all I got to say. Excuse me. Bye. <laughs> you can continue, Matt. <laughs> yeah. So favorite scheme. Um, this is kind of interesting one. I've always, I've always liked what Dale Jr. did with his cars. I liked that, you know, he wasn't happy unless all the details were perfect. You know, the side skirts had to be painted and, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. But my um, my all-time favorite scheme is actually the the 2003 Daytona car, the uh, the Dirty Mo Posse 8 car. Mm. That was one of the first times that you didn't see corporate sponsors all over the thing. Uh, put some flames on it, put the DMP logo on the um, on essentially what the, the B pillar and, you know, went out and absolutely just crushed the field in that race. And, uh, you know, he was the Pied Piper of Daytona, but that car is just, it was clean. It was cool. Um, it was his own deal, his own idea. I think that's one of the, the most awesome things of all time. And, you know, poof, you know, all these years later, it turns into, you know, Dirty Mo Media. So there was some, you know, some small significance of that, of that car translating into, you know, his media company later on in his, his life, in his career. So that's it. The eight DMP car. Yeah. Right. You're right over there in the, uh, in the stack. <laughs> I think we've asked that question dozens of times. And I think that's the first time I've ever even had that car being brought up on this podcast. Yeah. Love that car. Um, if you, if I were to give you a magic ticket right now and any NASCAR race of all time, you watched it, you've been there, whatever, any NASCAR race of all time. Um, and it really didn't even have to be NASCAR, I guess. Which race are you going to? Ooh, across all series, across the world? Any, any one race you want to go to. doesn't have to be NASCAR, I guess. Oh, man. Um, well, I got to cut that ticket into three because I got to go to Monaco to see the F1. I got to go to Indy to see the 500. And um, I have been to Daytona to see the 500. So, um, all right, cut the ticket in two. Let me go see the Indy 500 and Monaco one time for F1. What's one, what's one all-time race? If you go back in time to see one, what would it be? Man, that's a that's a tough question, too. I, I feel like the Indy and Monaco were gimmies. Of course they're gimmies. Yeah. They're, they're two of the most <laughs> you know, crown jewel races in the world. Right. Um, one that I could go back to. Uh I was not prepared for that one. Yeah. So like mine is always the 2004 Ford 400 where Kurt Busch's wheel came off. Like I'd love to go back and just see that. Um, you know, one that, um, you know, another Northeast guy that, you know, we kind of, kind of hold our Northeast guys near and dear. Um, I like to go back and see the, uh, Darlington race with, uh, Craven and Kurt Busch beaten to the line. Okay. Um, that was, you know, that's another one of those defining moments that, you know, one of the closest finishes of all time. Um, a Northeast guy, and then the guy with the worst attitude in the garage, you know, back in the day, um, beating and banging, but they got out of that car, high five, and couldn't have been happier the way that that race ended for, for either of them. Um, you know, for uh, for Ricky, that was a really big, really big win, you know, defining moment in his career. And, you know, it took it took literally the page out of, the, out of uh, Days of Thunder. You know, we, we all know as race fans that races don't look like Days of Thunder every single – they have lately. But um, <laughs> but they don't they don't always end like Days of Thunder. Um, that race did, you know, the cars were beat up, smoking, sparking, banging their way off the corner all the way to the stripe, and that was just all time cool. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go yeah. to that one. Yeah. All right, Alex, what do you got? Well, I thought you were going to move on as well. <laughs> no, what do you got? Okay, well, we're not coordinating very well in the in the private chat, but uh, so uh, I guess moving to our next kind of thing, um, you mentioned earlier um, about being on pit crews and stuff. So originally, I was going to ask you how you got um, 
into working at Stafford and stuff, but it seems like you were doing stuff before that. So I yeah. guess kind of what, what what's your timeline for for working with guys on cars and then getting into Stafford as a, a crew member for uh, the fire and safety stuff? Well, it's going to take a little bit, so I hope you have enough time for all that. Hey, we got we got I got all night. I don't know about Colton. <laughs> I got at least or, an hour. So if you can or, re- <laughs> or part two, I mean. Hour. It's up to you. Um, I don't know if I'm that spectacular of a guest. Uh, the uh, when I got to college, I was um, I was living back up here. It was 2001. Um, we all remember the unfortunate events of 2001. So engineering wasn't um, wasn't ringing my uh, ringing my phone. It was hard to find a job. I ended up working for um, the Bulls family in the car business. I started selling cars. Um, Tom Bowles has been racing since, um, I think 1978 or 80 was when he first started racing and was still doing it. So, um, I worked at the dealership that he was the general manager of, and, uh, my dad knew his brother, Brian Bowles, who had also raced cars. He started in 1976, um, hence the 76 number for the, uh, for the team for all those years. So, uh, we started racing, I, you know, to go down to the shop you know, doing the, the menial stuff, pushing the broom, um, cleaning the car after, you know, after a race, getting, you know, getting the rubber out of it while the other guys were you know, packing bearings and doing some of the more, um, you know, more serious maintenance on the car. Um, but, you know, given the, uh, given the general size of myself, uh, naturally evolved into like doing, you know, over the wall and uh, being a jack man and uh, help, you know, doing pit stops. And we did uh, SK races at Stafford Thompson uh, chase a tour for a little while. Um, you know, had tour modifieds, uh, ran some Bush North back then. It was still Bush North, not a K and N North East West or whatever series they call it now. So got a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of racing, um, early on, just with, uh, just with the family, um, tremendous group of guys. I'm still in contact with a lot of them. I see them almost all every week working at the speedway now. Um, so I did that. I worked with them for a long time. Then I worked on a, helped out on a pit crew with, um, with Butch Shea on a, on a pass North, the pro all-star series, um, late models or super late models up North. We, uh, you know, tracks like white mountain and, uh, all the beach Ridge and, um, Oxford, like Randy, even Randa, you know, went up for the two fifty. you know, competed against guys like Kyle Bush and, uh, Matt Kenseth. So, okay. A lot of different exposure to racing for a long time. And then I transitioned into an engineering job eventually. And that's kind of where my, my time as a, as a crew member kind of ran out, unfortunately, just with the, you know, the time commitment and everything. So fast forward a bunch of years, I, uh, I get involved with, with the fire department and a couple guys that, that I'm on the department with, uh, they had been working at, at Stafford on the, on the crew. Um, one of them, um, unfortunately had, had an accident, wasn't able to, um, do it anymore. Um, unfortunately be a firefighter or work at the track. So I kind of took his spot as the, uh, the part-time guy, the, the sub guy that would call, you know, I'd get handful of races a year and go up there and, and, uh, do my thing on Friday night. And then, um, there, the, the other gentleman that had got me into it, he wasn't able to do it anymore. So I kind of you know, slid my way into the, um, into the full-time spot. So it was, it wasn't every week commitment. And that's been, 
I'm going to guess probably five or six years now that I've, that I've been up there working, working at the track. So, you know, got to see some first. I know you want to talk about some of the SRX stuff, you know, seeing that happen um, for the first time. That was, that was really cool. Um, see, you know, just a lot of drivers that have, you know, came up and compete, you know, Ryan Newman came up this year to run the spring sizzler and, you know, Ryan Priest has a big background there. Doug Kobe, all those guys that, uh, you know, made their name going through Stafford, Woody Pitcat. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a great ride. And for as much of a pain as it can be, it's, uh, it's really a lot of fun. And I've, I have a lot of pride in doing it. I like, I like being out there. I like being on the helping side of things. That's, that's part of why I'm a volunteer in the first place and getting to parlay that into racing is just a win-win right there. Another great group of guys in the fire and safety, you know, in the, um, at the track there. And, um, it's uh it's a good time on on friday nights i bet um there's nothing better than than live racing so i can i can definitely parrot you there um so there's a bunch of stuff that you said i want to kind of pick it apart uh kind of so um firstly um i guess um before we really get into kind of you um there's there's a thing that happens especially in in the u.s um because it's so massive we have these regional sports when it comes to motorsports mm-hmm. um i've never seen a modified race um mm-hmm. my my thing has always been super late models on dirt because that's what they race down here you know you got you got uh for for your asphalt races you got late models uh in the midwest and you got you got 410 sprints in pennsylvania the midwest and the west coast oh, yeah. you got pro late models in the carolinas which i haven't been to yet even though i just moved up here but i guarantee you next year i'm going to go to a lot of those races um and then up north, you got modifieds on dirt and asphalt. Uh, what is the modified culture like? What is the modified stuff like like in general? And how do you think that would differ from the stuff that, that I see here and Colton sees um, out at Colorado National? The, um, you know, the modifieds have a rich history in the Northeast. It's, it's been around here a real long time. And, um, you know, it was born out of necessity. It was guys that wanted to go faster so they said let's just take some of the fenders off these things that are weighing these giant steel cars down and we'll go faster and uh you know poof it was it was born um of course over time they've been designed to be down to a you know a race purpose chassis to be a modified uh the open wheel is cool um i argue and it's not hard to find people to back me up on this the best race you'll ever see at new hampshire speedway is the modifieds you're rolling them almost wide open the entire time um, through the corners, you know, big wide tires, real low center of gravity. Um, I would love to see them. I haven't seen them at Bristol or Martinsville, but two other tracks that would be that are just right up modified alley. You can run them on a one mile. You can run them on a quarter mile and you're going to get a great show. You go down a riverhead, um, see them race there. It's 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 like nothing else. You just see this. There's no, there's no ability to not see on-track action. Um, you, know, you drop the green flag, and the leader's almost on the, on the tail of the, um, of the field, and in a lap or two, you know, there's just so many cars on track, and uh, the way they put on the race, you know, you already touched on it. Doug Kobe, Bonsignor, um, Goodales, you know, if if you step a few years back, Steve Park, Ryan Priest, um, Mike Stefanik, Ted Christopher, you can, I mean, you can rattle names off all day long, and um, Steve Park, you know, he, uh, you know, he made it to that level. Uh, Jimmy Spencer was a, was a Stafford fixture. Jeff Bodine was a Stafford fixture, you know, Ken Bouchard, Ron Bouchard, 
that you know made it to the national level and had got their starts in modifieds it's um it's tough and i mean if you're a you know if you're a sim racer try it out sometime you'll actually i think you'll appreciate how um how fast and how much grip those cars have um and it's just it just looks so different it's not it's not a very traditional looking race car at all but uh for for what they do and the show they put on it's it's difficult to beat you know good modified racing and i yes i'm a little biased because i did yeah. grow up with it so yeah so i mean that's like me uh I, i've always wanted to go see a 410 sprint stuff but i i, I hold those super late models to my heart because they've always put on great racing down here yeah they do they absolutely do i mean snowball derby and you know it was later on in my you know quote unquote my racing career that I started to get more appreciation for the grassroots stuff and, you know, seeing those, um, you know, like the Winchester at Hickory and um, all those different types of short, uh, short tracks and all the names that came from those series that became, you know, big stars, Dick Trickles, you know, Mark Martin, you know, used to go and just clean up those, uh, those racetracks. Um, just so, so cool, you know, short track, big wide car, big horsepower. Um, yeah. That's, Again, it's something I have to watch in the archives, but it's certainly worth it because late models are cool. Four tens are cool. I got to see them at um, Lebanon Valley, which isn't too far from here. Um, you know, I've seen both the uh, World of Outlaws and the All Star Circuit of Champions, and that's um that was tough to to explain to people what those things are like in person for the first time. Just um, unbelievable blazing speed. And just amazing amounts of courage. I got the chance to drive a dirt sprint car, wing car once. I thought I was going a million miles an hour. And when my friend showed me the video, I don't even think I had it out of like idle. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I thought I was I thought I was just killing it out there. And no, no, I most certainly was not. (laughs) Um, So I'm a big modified guy. We modifieds aren't as huge of a culture out here, obviously, but we do have several divisions of them out. and we actually just a couple weeks ago, we had a guy named Jordan Smith on who races modifieds down just north of Denver at uh, Colorado National Speedway. So I always have a huge respect for him. You mentioned Ryan Priest. I think Ryan Priest is one of the best talents in all of the country right now as far as race car drivers go. Um, I've said for years that I think he could be easily like a 30, 40 win cup driver if he were to get good equipment young enough in his career to start rattling off these wins. I think he's super talented. Um, I want to know. Super modifieds are the craziest thing I've ever seen in, in person. They are by far. Have you ever been to a super modified race or when was the last time you went? The last time I saw supers in person was at Thompson. Um, Thompson Speedway, for those that don't know, is a five eighths mile, um, fairly decently banked track. Uh, the last time we were there, I think, was with the tour. They had these super Tuesdays, these like modified mania Tuesdays or stuff, and we would get to race with the supers. Um, the first time I experienced them, we were in the infield. They kept us in the infield while they practice. You know, they don't have starters, so you got to go, you know, push them off. So it's a uh, it's a little bit of a, you know, a little minutia involved in, in getting those things going. But once they are going, it is it, – it's another thing that I can't describe. You know, watching the wings on top, they uh, – you know, as I learned over time that they set them almost on like a door opener. So you go into the corner, these big giant wings pop up. You get all this downforce. It's a it's a huge offset car. I mean, gigantic right rear tire, and they absolutely fly. So, I mean, for for figure sake, if we were there in the modifieds in the SKs or in the tour modifieds, they say we ran like an 18-0. That was like a blistering lap. 
And these guys are going around there in like 15, 16. I mean, yeah. seconds faster around a five. Whoa, oh. Okay. So for anyone who doesn't know how big a five eighths mile is, that's Iowa, I believe, is a five eighths mile. Yeah, I think it is. So you're talking about going sub 20 seconds in a modified. Oh, easy. Easy. And you're going, yeah. say that number one more time because I don't believe it. Yeah, honestly, like I think there were 16s going around there. 16, 15, 16. seconds. Yeah, they a they quarter just, of a minute on yeah. a five eight mile. Holy shit, Alex! They're, they're hard. I mean, again, I can't do it justice there. And the they're they're big block alcohol. The best thing about those cars is those guys race. You cannot touch in those cars, or you're going to have an extremely bad. Day. You know, Johnny Benson took a real bad lick in a super. Um, you know, great to see him. You know, survive that and, and recover and still be racing from that. Um, up here, if you want to talk about um, super modifieds, the man you're going to look for in YouTube is Bentley Warren. He was an absolute legend of the series. Um, this year, I'm not going to. I'm going to sort of fast forward on you, Alex. I'm sorry. As I was walking out of the track this year from New Hampshire, I see this old dude in front of me just kind of hobbling his way through the tunnel, and he turned his head, and I said to myself. Oh my God, that's Bentley Warren. So um, I called out to him. He turned around and said, um, how do you know who I am? I said, you were on the Dale Jr. download. You've only won every modified, super modified race there is to win. Um, Oswego, where they run those things. Um, uh, you know, Arundel, Maine, where they uh, did the Lost Speedways episode. All those tracks around here. If you're talking about supers, you got to look up at um, Bentley Warren. But okay. those cars are just unreal to see in person. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, before I move out there, if you don't go see a super race, <laughs> you and Myra need to fly out here first weekend of May when they come to town. And, okay. like, holy shit. And, and he's not joking. When he says seconds faster, like, it is seconds noticeably faster, like, crazy fast. And okay, it, it is check it out. It is crazy seeing the wings open up on the straightaway and then slam back down in the corner. Oh, man, they are so – Wait a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So I thought that's what I heard Matt say. Oh yeah, they're moving. They 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 go down and come up. So, yeah, they're they're so actually they basically have, they have DRS on on the, on the <laughs> yeah. That's exactly holy it. shit. They're they're <laughs> set on hydraulics. Yeah, so when the air hits them enough, it pulls it open and then it drops it down the corner to sit the car down. That's fucking wild. Yeah, they holy are. Shit. They're um they're, they're something to see. And I didn't believe it the first time. I was like. Wait, that thing just moved on top. No, wait, it couldn't have. It's got to be fixed, like a 410 sprint. Nope, that thing's popping up and laying down. So, yep. yeah, if you get the chance, see him. I'm, and if, I'm if you get the chance, right research Tim Richmond's um, Super Modified because they actually built a Super Mod with three massive tires on the right side and one on the left. Oh, yeah, you could do those run with your brung days, the open yep. shows. Yep. Um, they'd have those here at you know, Stafford, and that was something that – you know, Jeff Bodine, the Bodine family used to just crush him on um, the as uh, you know, on the download, they call it the uh, the innovations. Right. The uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of innovations that um, that came from the uh, from the Bodines and um, just in general. But, yeah, some of those run with your brung shows, they were insane. Look like some of those hill climb cars from like Pikes Peak and stuff. Yeah. The wings on them. Man, that. I'm I'm gonna be going down a rabbit hole later tonight. Thank you guys yeah. for, for 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 letting me in on a little secret of motorsports I didn't know about. Wow. Uh, all right. So part two of breaking down um, that uh, long answer to the, the question. 
uh, earlier. You said you were working on crews um, and you did stuff like the Bush North and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, first question is, did you go to New Hampshire before it was New Hampshire? I can't think of the name for the road course um, that they paved over. Uh, no. And secondly, um, what was your, I guess, favorite part of being on uh, a pit crew? Best part about being on a pit crew is the guys that you work with. Um, racing is awesome, but the people you work with, that's, um, you know, like I said, I have lifetime friends from from that, from that time. Um, and being out there, being a part of, you know, the driver to get the spotlight, but after being and being, you know, down ground pounding with a, you know, on pit road and, you know, going through pit stops and just the maintenance back at the shop, you know, you are putting this car together. So what you do has a direct output of how that race goes. We just talked about it with, uh, with Daniel Suarez. If your pit crew performs at a high level, your track position is going to be better. You're going to be better. So, yeah. Um, it is an immeasurable, and you're seeing it now with these guys that are, you know, announcing their contract deals as pit crew members for Joe Gibbs and for Stuart Haas and, and that kind of stuff. It's, uh, you know, if I was, if I was a little bit younger, it's probably something I'd, I would have gone to pursue, you know, maybe make a career out of, uh, you know, working on, on race teams or working on pit road. But, um, that's the best part is, you know, doing a pit stop and, and nailing one and feeling good about it. And, you know, working with the guys you work with, that's uh, the, the stories you tell are mostly from off the racetrack than on the racetrack. So that's uh, is there any good stories? I know I know Colton's probably wanting to know if there's any good stories um, that are are able to be told on air. <laughs> um, there are so many that I that I can remember. Um, you know, one that one that we laugh about was the road trip that we took down to Nazareth. when We ran the tour there. Um, in a combo weekend with the uh, Bush South, um, the a lot of that I, <laughs> a lot of that I can't tell probably on there, but uh, yeah, some of the road trips we took a road trip all the way up to um, Lake Erie Speedway, which is one of the coolest racetracks I've ever seen. Just felt like forever and a day to get there. Um, so, yeah, a lot. I mean, there's I, I I can't I couldn't honestly remember all of the all the stories, but you make them you make them with your friends, you make them at the racetrack. Um, you know, rain outs, the first rain out that we had at, uh, that I can remember at New Hampshire with the modifieds, the cup was going out to, um, to run time trials. And, uh, Jamie McMurray came over and sat down and had a conversation. Like, and that's when I learned that these guys aren't these, you know, up on a pedestal type celebrities. A lot of them are pretty cool and will come over and just talk like normal, you know, normal human beings. And so that was, that was cool. There's a lot of, a lot of memories with that, with, um, just being in the infields and kind of mixing it up here and there and, you know, getting to meet different people. Um, that, that was a lot of fun. That's always been fun. All right. Um, I got to ask with that, cause you said there's a lot of you couldn't share. Uh, our other host, Nathan, he did want to ask you what the mm-hmm. wildest thing. So I'm going to keep prying until you give me something. So what was the wildest thing that you've seen in a racetrack? Um, Wild good or wild bad? Um, wild, your call. <laughs> wild both. <laughs> so, um, you know, not not to darken this whole entire episode, but um, I was at the 01-500 when, you know, Dale Sr. unfortunately lost his life. 
Um, I was around New Hampshire for both Adam Petty and uh, Kenny Irwin. Um, I wasn't at the track, but I was around, um, you know, unfortunately, John Blewett, his, um, his accident. So I've seen a fair share. Um, and Tom Baldwin, I, we were involved in that race. Tommy Baldwin Sr., when uh, unfortunately he passed. So I've seen the good and the bad of, of racing. Um, racing highs, there's no highs, but the racing lows are ones that um, they, they stick with you for, for a long time. And, um, you know, it's the, you know, the um, being, you know, Teddy Christopher, Mike Stefanik, the past, um, you know, it's, those, those are the things that, that really stick with me. A lot of awesome memories, but those, those ones, you know, I'm, I'm glad the good came of the, of the injuries that, that they were, you know, Hans devices, safer barriers, all different types of things that they've innovated for safety. But, you know, you lose those, um, you know, those people, they're, they're larger than life. And it, it reminds you that racing, while it's an incredibly fun sport, it, it can bite back at times. So those are probably the most wild things that I've seen. It's, it's tough to comprehend when it happens in the moment. Um, it still feels like a race. It still feels like you're just there for a race weekend. But when you go back and reflect on it, you, you really realize how delicate that things can be and, and why you do the things you do to ensure that drivers go out there and have the safest environment they can to race. Because any any little thing can be you know the difference between a real good day and a real, real bad day. So there, there, there's my wild for you. Yeah, well, I think most of those you weren't um, working for, right? You were just fans? Uh, fan for, yeah, a couple of them I was, you know, we were competitors. And for, yeah, some of them I was, you know, in, a, in the fan role. Okay. Uh, so I did want to ask, what are you doing, um, kind of your um, your fire and safety stuff at Stafford now? Um, I did want to ask, uh, and, and since you took us down this road, I guess I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go. Good. Um, I guess what are some of the defining moments? Well, you kind of already uh, answered that with, with some of the tragedies you've witnessed. Um, how, how does something like that reflecting on it affect you mentally going forward? Um, and, and if you were, they're, you know, working, if you had ever been in an accident like that, working at the track uh, for the safety stuff, um, how do you, how are you affected by it? It's, it's different for everybody. You know, everybody's answer. If you ask every you know person in safety from nationwide, they'd all have a different version of it. Right. So in the moment, it's a little bit more compartmentalized. You kind of put it to the side of, of the job you have to, because you got to do that first. You've got to um, try and take the emotion out of it. And does that always happen? No. Sometimes the emotion is still, you know, is there. Um, but you've got to, you've got to just, number one, you got to keep yourself safe. So don't put yourself in a bad spot. The bad spots already happened. Don't make it worse. Um, and don't get yourself hurt. Don't get your crew hurt. Don't get anybody else in a, in a bad way based on, whatever it is that you're going to respond to right now. So you, uh, you do the job and then afterward it's more or less, um, like, I, like most guys will say like the peer kind of counseling, you'll talk about it afterward. You'll say, um, 
you know, man, I can't believe this happened. And, you know, you know, thinking back on it, man, maybe we should have done it this way or that way. And um, it's uh, if you ever go into a first responder environment after a bad call, it's going to sound like we are the most heartless people on the planet. But the way we talk about things and maybe some of the humor that we share just internally, just with the people on that call is, is how you get past it. And if it goes further than that, then you got to go seek, you know, the professional, the professional help, uh, you know, a lot of things. One thing that I talked to and what, you know, and we're gonna touch on this later again, one thing that I, when I got a chance to meet Mike Davis said that the download really means a lot because it was so amazing for Dale to be the first person, not the first person, but, a very prominent person to say it's okay to not be okay. Um, head injuries are nothing to ever mess with. Um, I'm I'm not glad to see where Kurt is right now, but I'm glad to see that they take this seriously enough where they want to be there tomorrow and not put themselves in a position where they're going to get hurt even further. Um, so, so I think that that's some um, that's a big thing. But for us, it's uh, yeah, it's a peer network. We're going to talk about it afterward and. Um, we'll talk about things that went well. We'll talk about things that didn't go so well, and it's a learning experience for next time. Hopefully there isn't a next time, but, you know, inevitably that's just the name of the game. So there's always something that can be, be improved upon. We'll, we'll try and, you know, learn from it. And, you know, the best outcome is, uh, you know, seeing that, that person, that person involved, that driver, whomever it is, you see him a couple weeks later and go, Hey man, how you feeling? And they, you know, like a pat on the back, like, man, I can't believe what you guys did for me, did for um, even just saving a race car that you didn't have to cut apart, you know, to to put back into the trailer or something. Little things go a long way. And being part of that is very, you know, it's, it's a very re rewarding experience. All right. Well, um, that was a lot. Gee, you, you, uh, you dumped a lot. I, I did ask the big question, so it's my <laughs> fault. Um, uh, I did. I did want to get into your job um, as a as a fire safety trainer as well. Um, mm -hmm. We don't really have time because we we went other ways and we've got other things that we wanted to talk to. But what I was going to do once we got to this part of the podcast, once we got to this part, was ask you: um, Is there anything that we, as just normal civilians, Colton, myself, everyone listening, um, can take what you've seen? Um, uh, I mean, as as a as a race fan at a racetrack, as far as safety goes, but also applying, you know, real world stuff to our own lives to help us be more safe in instances that we would normally not want to call you for. Yeah, um, that's that's a that's a, another multi leveled answer, but yeah. there is there is a lot that you can do. Um, you know, in the community to help the community. Um, if you're ever walking around and you, sometimes people ask them, um, what does a heart safe community mean? It means that in every, you know, government or municipal building, there's going to be an AED. Go, go learn how to do CPR, go learn how to do an AED. Um, those are things that can have a huge difference on the outcome of someone who experiences an unfortunate, you know, event of cardiac arrest um, for People mostly call it heart attack, but, you know, survivability starts with people getting involved and wanting to help. Uh, if you can get that training through, you know, the Red Cross from your local fire departments, um, 
you know, even the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts are learning these, you know, these basic skills for first aid, CPR, AED use. Um, situational awareness, that's another one. You know, be aware of your environment. Everywhere you go is not designed to be safe for you. Um, right. You know, you, you talk about like if you live in Florida, you have to be prepared for hurricanes. If you live in the plains, you got to be prepared for tornadoes. If you live, you know, in Puerto Rico, you have to be ready for the floods, you know, that come along with hurricanes and stuff. So no matter where you are, you have some you have some natural, quote unquote, threat around you. The more you prepare yourself and it sounds very cliche, but the more that you take an active role in your safety, the better off you're going to be. Have your flashlights, have your candles, have your you know spare water and stuff, have your safe places to go. Um, those, those small things honestly go a long way. Really do. Okay. All right. Well, I guess just safety conscious mind needs to safety, obviously. Getting CPR certified only takes a few hours. Yeah. Yep. It's a class. Something I highly recommend to everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I guess also, uh, with people that move around too, like if I were to go to Wyoming right now, I would not know how to deal with what you deal with out there uh, with 40 below and, and, and 90 mile an hour winds. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that, that was great. Um, kind of uh, want to move back into some stuff. So this is, this is the part that I think I was most forward to looking, looking forward to uh, when talking with you. And that is you've been around uh, racetracks a lot and you've been around racing personalities a lot. So I do want to get into that. So uh, first off, let's start with uh, Stafford. That's probably where you're spending most of your time nowadays. Um, I want to know what the re- weekly racing scene is like up there. Who are the guys that you think that we should be looking into um, as maybe uh, blossoming into a national spotlight kind of person uh, to be kind of like the the guys in the past uh, that you mentioned, um, like a Ryan Priest. There's, um, it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, that's even a tough question because Stafford even goes all the way down to the, you know, the competitive cart level. So you got all the way down to, you know, I think it's four and five years old is when they, uh, can start racing in the, uh, in the Monday night. Um, God, I'm going to forget the sponsor, uh, wild thing card series. God, I would hate, I would hate to get that wrong. Um, the wild thing card series where they have, you know, five, six divisions of carts all the way up to adult racers. And they put on a heck of a show on Monday nights on the, uh, the mini mile there at Stafford Speedway. Um, then you get into your Friday night racing. Uh, you're running, you know, five divisions, your street stocks, your limited late models, late models, SK lights and SK um, races. And that's every Friday night. So you've got, okay. you've got five divisions minimum competing on a Friday night which is a lot. I mean, for the, for the race directors, for the competitors, um, for the track, that's a lot to support. Um, you know, you're running heat races, you're running feature races, you're running practice and, and any of those times, you know, you need fire and safety present for that. Um, and also our, our recovery team, the guys that run the records, you know, they do a, um, they do a great job. I've been to a lot of tracks and I'm not going to say we do it the best, but we do it pretty darn good. Um, getting ourselves back to green, getting a good raceable surface, getting, um, you know, if, if unfortunately a car has a, you know, incident with the Armco barrier, getting Armco repaired. Um, it's, it shows when you've got a group of guys that have worked together for, you know, a couple of years and you can make those things happen. Um, 
Because the last thing you want to do is keep the fans sitting there doing nothing, right? They yep. they want to see you racing. They paid to see you racing. Right. You want to put racing on the track. So um, the ownership takes a very active role there. Mark Root, David Root, Paul Root. They're, uh, you know, if, if we're out there doing something, next thing you know, you see two kids running up in their fire suits because they're racing that night and they're taking care of the track. Um, and then Mark himself is out there, you know, side by side with us if we're just sweeping up speedy dry or doing something like that. So it's tough to not want to put in the effort when you have the effort being put in next to you, you know, by the by the guys that could just sit back and, and you know, watch it happen. You know, they pay people to do this, but they're out there doing it, too. Um, that's uh, it's rewarding. And then, the, the you know, the paddock area. It's uh, it's got a good buzz on Friday nights. It's it's coming back. You know, you're seeing better crowds. You're seeing better car counts. Um, great on track action. All all five series. I mean, you're seeing championships coming down to the final. You know, one two races of the season. Um, a, a, really, it is a tremendous racing product that gets put on on Friday nights. Um, I'm uh, yeah, I'm biased to it, and I'm and maybe I'm also just lucky to be there. Yeah, it's um. <laughs> It's it's something that you know a, a local race fan, even a um, like you said, you know your your core race fans. If you really want to go someplace and see some history of racing, go to these short tracks. Go see where you know the stars of tomorrow are coming out. Um, you look down up and down the ranks of the uh, you know the the points championships just finished up. You know the seasons are over now. You could take you could take the top ten drivers out of all those series and say, you know that's someone to keep an eye on not whether they have aspirations or the financial ability to go on to the next level. That's usually, you know, you already said that that's where, you know, the dream ends for a lot of people is not being able to buy your way into a ride. You know, at that level, you don't just have Rick Hendricks sitting in the stand saying, man, that kid did good tonight. I'm going to fire him a contract. Yeah. You got to pay your dues. One thing I respect about Ryan Priest is he built race car. He builds his race cars. You know, he's paid his dues. He's worked his way through the ranks. Um, guy fights for every race that he's in you know he's had success this year with the truck um he's had success in the xfinity series he's had you know he's had some success in at the cup levels so um who was the next one from the speedway that's going national i i couldn't pick just one you know there's there's handfuls of people that could definitely have the talent to go to the next level do they have the backing that's always going to be you know the the definitive yes or no so, um, yeah, a lot of, lot of good, I mean, every race is not just, not just watching, Ke- you know, Keith Rocco win every week. You're not just watching, you know, Woody Pitcat win every week. You're, you're there seeing a lot of different, tra- yeah, you get your repeat winners. There's guys that just got it figured out. They got fast cars, got a great setup, um, and going out there and putting it to them, but it's not, you're not going to see somebody win 10, 15 races. You're going to see a good mix of people. Some guys are just going to hit it. It's going to be their night. Maybe it's your night where you save tires and you got, you know, four fresh ones to put on and the other guys are running, you know, a week or two week old tires. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there's tire shortages. You're limited for what you can get at a lot of short tracks now. So tire rules come into play. Um, every, every level that these guys compete at and to see what they do to turn the cars over. And, and I've been a part of it, you know, see, turn a car over in one week's time to go and be competitive again, chasing a points championship. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, these guys that do it week in and week out, you know, that run multiple tracks. So if you're running Friday, Saturday, and you're running Waterford, um, I'm sorry, Friday, Friday Stafford, 
Waterford Saturday, if you got a car that you run at those tracks and you tear it up, you know, you're going back to the shop. These guys yeah. are clipping them in a night. It's it's an, it's incredible how these guys um, they got a few dedicated people on their on their teams, and it it's 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 awesome. It really is awesome to see a car that you saw and a crumpled up like a like a soda can, and you see it the next week out there running at the front. My hats off to those guys because I know what it, I know what it looks like and feels like in those late nights to put a car together. Yeah. Um. Wow. Man, this guy keeps dropping just suitcases on us. I know, man. It's like, shit, man. It's like I, I, I've, I've prepared this much notes. Matt comes in here, and it's it's way over here. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, how, how am I supposed to follow You're up? You're giving us too I'm much content, there? Matt. Yeah. My, my fault. Yeah. Well, that's a good problem. That is a good problem to have. Honestly, I, I love, you know, sitting down talking racing. So, you know, if there's – if there's other opportunities to come in and, and talk racing, I'll be, I'll be happy to, you know, as, as events go on or as the, there's places that I've gone to recently that they want to talk about, I'm always good with that, but um, no, I'll, I'll let you, um, I know you had some other stuff, Alex, that you really wanted to hit. So go ahead. Yeah. So, uh, so the, so the one thing um, now I still don't understand Colton's point of view on the series, but superstar racing experience uh, I had the ability to go watch it at Five Flags this year. It was incredible. Got to see some of my favorite race car drivers from all different series competing together. I got to see my boy TK racing again, and that was astonishing. Uh, and, of course, Elio got the win, um, and hopefully we'll see him in a Daytona 500 now. Um, so but cool. you have been a lot more intimate with SRX series than we have. Uh, because you got to work fire and safety for those events. But also, you're at one of the two racetracks that they've been to both seasons. So you've gotten to see, I think, probably 18 to 20 different race car drivers. Who were the ones that you got to speak to? And what what was your favorite part about the SRX experience? So when I first heard the rumor that SRX... You know, it was going to be a thing, and it was going to be backed by Ray and Tony Stewart. Um, it was destined to take off in a big way. Those aren't those aren't guys that do things small. So, you know, if um, you can look back and just look at all the all the accomplishments of those two and the ideas that they had, you know, formulated for what the series was going to be. You know, bringing back an IROC style race to short tracks and you know, that's number one, super appealing to me. But um, to answer your question, you know, when they announced that Bill Elliott was going to be a driver there, I was through the moon excited. Whether or not I was going to be an employee working at the race, I was going to that race. There was no way I was going to be denied getting my chance to finally shake hands with, with Bill Elliott. Um, he was incredibly gracious, incredibly forthcoming i told him that i'm actually looking at his um 1987 thunderbird right up there on the shelf and that's the centerpiece of uh of most of my my die cast collection um i told him i've been following him since you know roughly 84 85 uh his career all the way through ownership junior johnson um everham motorsports getting the win at the brickyard uh it's just such a such a cool incredible career that he's had and 
for how humble he was just being able to talk and talk a little racing and let me be a fan. Just let me, let me be a fan. That's, uh, you know, meeting his idol and, you know, take a picture real quick. He couldn't have, uh, couldn't have honestly been any nicer. Um, so that was, I mean, it, like I said, if, if I didn't get to work the event, it would have been worth it to me to be able to see, you know, stand in that autograph line and finally, you know, get a face to face just just to say one time, hey, man, I'm, I'm one of your biggest fans of all time. And I know they hear that all the time. But, you know, from, uh, you know, from the, the, the little guy perspective, it's good from our point of view. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Huge. I mean, so huge. I've, I've played as Bill Elliott in, you know, NASCAR racing on the PC. I've played as Bill Bill Elliott in the Nintendo game, you know. So, um, yeah, that was that was huge. And then, you know, the you look up and down the roster of drivers, you could argue that all of them are the best of, of what they've done. There's, I couldn't have picked and said, oh, he's the best at this, he's the best at this, they're the best at that. No, they're – their their resumes far preceded their um you know their appearances. Julio Castro Nevis is fresh off of his fourth Indy 500 win. Um, he was happy to show us the ring, you know, that he had just won, basically the week before. Um, an, another guy that was couldn't have been more forthcoming with making you feel welcome there and ask questions and talk racing and again just be a fan. Like I can't believe that a week ago I'm looking at you on TV. And, you know, you're putting that car in victory lane for the fourth time at Indy. Um, huge. Uh, unfortunately, he had an in-race incident, but I did get to pick up a piece of the car that he graciously signed for me. So I have a piece of uh, Ilio's car. He actually was – he was so nice about it when I asked him. I felt kind of bad, like, hey, you can sign this piece of your car you wrecked. Um, he said, oh, I guess I should stop littering while I'm out here. Um, <laughs> so – you know, you know, stories like that. It was just it made the entire experience worth it. Uh, the fan, the fans were there was a buzz the entire time that we were there. Uh, I've never seen the grandstand that packed. I've never seen the um, you know the paddock area. There was all different you know manufacturers, and uh, they had uh, one of Dale Seniors Northeast Motor Cars had one of Dale Seniors actual IROC cars there. So hmm. you know, just being able to see the race was one thing, but the stuff that was going on outside of it was was um, just pretty darn cool. Uh, I didn't realize how much bigger I am than people sometimes. Like I walk by Tony Kanan and uh, it's like a jockey, man. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, come on. Tony <laughs> Kanan is is all but what four eleven? I swear. <laughs> I mean, but like you're, like a Mark Martin, six foot, right? But I mean, I mean, you, I couldn't knock him over. That dude still doing triathlons and stuff, man. That's that's crazy. All the, you know, there's so many drivers and I can't pick one and say that there, yes, I can. Bill Elliott was my favorite. Um, always had been. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It was like, wait a minute. All right. Yeah, so yeah. It's awesome, Bill. But I mean, the rest of the cast that, that has come through, um, Michael Waltrip, very, um, you know, a lot like his personality on TV. Um, I got to call him out cause he was kind of, uh, not as nice to me once at a racetrack. So, um, I got to call him out on that and we made good on it. Uh, he let me try his um, his Michael Walter brewing stuff, which was cool. Um, didn't have to do that. So um, all the person, even, you know, the media personalities got to interact, you know, Alan Bestwick, you know, having them come down and he's a, he's a Northeast guy. So now having him come down and talk some, uh, you know, some area stuff and then just being part of the race experience. Like that was cool. Matt Yoakum was really cool. Um, 
yeah, good, really good group of people. They, they really have, um, they really have something there. And I hope, I hope that the excitement stays with the series. Um, I hope they're able to go to you know, more tracks and bring that experience to more people that can see their, um, their racing heroes up close. I think that was, uh, I just think that's one of the coolest ideas to, you know, put these, these drivers all in a, you know, in a, in a super similar setup car, super similar engine horsepower and on short tracks, let them go out there and race. I mean, that's what people want to see. You want to see them go out there and race, put the bumper to them, um, love them or hate them. You know, you see uh, Paul Tracy out there, you're going to get the bumper at some point when, yeah. uh, when he's on the racetrack. So um, yeah, I know they don't want to tear them up week to week because I will tell you, those are some of the hardest working crews. I mean, they're, they're working on the road. They're rebuilding cars on the road. Um, they don't have a shop. They don't have, they're, they're rolling. They're in the back of, they're in parking lots. They're working under, you know, pop-up tents. The, all the people that make SRX happen, um, they, they get a serious tip of the cap from me because they are working their literal tails off for six weeks. Um, race tech to racetrack, put the cars together, fix them, maintain them, put them back on the track and give, um, you know, give a competitive car to all these drivers. Seriously um, impressive achievement by that series. Yeah. Are you, are you convinced yet, Colton, to watch it? You're going to put me in this. I'm going to put you on the spot right now. It's racing. I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll give it a watch. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. it was one of the greatest races I've ever seen on uh, at Five Flags this year. So I'm glad that I got to experience it as well. Yeah. Um, maybe they'll maybe they'll come to Colorado National one of these days. And you'll, hey, you'll if, see it. No. If yeah, if they come out to Denver, I will be the first guy in line buying tickets. <laughs> and no question about it. Just well, you just you said know. it. So now you got to make good on it. Yeah. It, well, if they announce it, yeah, I probably and I'll buy you guys tickets too if you want. I'll be okay. there. Um, so yeah, I think the thing you said about them continuing, I think the model only continues if they do make the schedule different every year. Uh, cause you got to put the nuance out there because mm-hmm. five flags was packed to the brim. I'm not sure if five flags was on the original season. Uh, people would go out again because it was blistering hot. My ass literally got burnt from the concrete. Um, like, <laughs> I don't know that you can replicate that year after year. Um, but uh, no, it was it's really fun. Um, but that's not really the only stuff you've been to. Uh, you did work at Loudon. Um, you've been to Loudon a lot. Um, I kind of want to save that for a next time. I don't think there's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to. I think we want to have you on again. Sure. But uh, we do want to get to the thing that we teased on Twitter. And that was you got to meet the guys that kind of paved the way for podcasts like us. Uh, in the motorsports world, you went to the Dirty Mo Media Fan Experience at Bristol. I did. Uh, oh, let's go overarching. How was that? And let's get into all the specifics. All right. So, um, so truth be told, I didn't watch or get into the. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Wasn't into the Dale Junior download in some of the beginning. Um, I didn't know much yeah. about the door bumper clear in the beginning. But during the pandemic, when they started doing the commentary, the live commentary on the I races, um, I happened to flip it on and said, man, these these are my kind of guys right here. I want over the top opinionated. But, you know, industry guys, they're not they're not offering opinion just based on, you know, pulling stuff out of a hat. These are people that have been 
um, when I got a chance to meet Freddie, you know, I said, hey, I th we were competitors back in the day at Stafford. Um, so we got to talk a little bit about that. And then um, I got to meet Brett. He came through the pit. I, I had Landon Castle's pit for um, the Xfinity race, this last one at New Hampshire. And um, so that was cool. And yeah, I know we'll save the other part of that for that later, Alex. But the ultimate fan experience, um, what a product from Dirty Mo Media. It was really incredible to to go and have those guys be so cool to sit there and just let fans come at them and barrage them with questions. And, you know, Mike Davis himself, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's Dale's right-hand man in the download and, you know, na the now president of Dirty Mo Media um, as a company. So uh, they, they couldn't have been any easier to talk to any, any misconception I had about that was instantly dispelled. Once I walked into that, um, into that studio, they were just milling around watching a race. They wanted, well, some of them had work to go do eventually, but um, Mike stayed in that booth from start to finish and he engaged with every single person in there. Not just a, Hey, how's it going? Thanks for coming out. Shake your hand and move on. He had a legitimate you know, conversation with everything. He wanted to know who you were, where you were from. How did you get into racing? Why do you like this? Um, you know, thank you. Yes, of course. Thank you for coming to the experience. But um, how can we make it better? What do you like about this? What don't you like about this? And um, took a lot of that, you know, constructive criticism. And um, I said, you know, for for a guy who is not a traditional talk show host, they do a heck of a job on the download, getting people to open up, you know, getting um I said one that really one that really kind of touched me was uh, the Kenny Schrader interview when they talking to Junior about, you know, being the first one to see his dad in the race car and uh, never letting that out, you know, never letting out what he saw. That was that was something if Junior ever wanted to know, he could know. And if not, it was going to stay under wraps. And I respect that. Um, obviously, seeing what I've seen in, in, in my time that, you know, you have a certain you have family members that have probably passed. Um, you want to remember them the way that they were. You don't want to remember them in their worst days. You want to remember them in their best days. So that was amazing. Well, I already touched on the, the head injury thing that Dale came out and, um, you know, made it okay to not be okay with the head injury. They've touched on a million times. If you got out of a race car, there's someone behind you to fill that seat. Are you going to get your seat back? You don't know. If you're making a living in racing, you got to be in the car week in and week out. How many stories have you heard of Ricky Rudd with his eyes taped open or, yeah. You know, these crazy stories from back in the day that there was no way they were not going to race their car the next week, um, no matter how bad they were hurt. So um, the experience at Bristol was just like I it's just a mecca. If you're for all those years that I thought I'd never see the Bristol night race because I was going to be on a wait list for 30 years to get a ticket to even see it, but then get to go see it from a suite was was a no brainer. I mean. I didn't care if I had to go out and start, you know, panhandling on the street. I was going to find a way to get into the, yeah. <laughs> into the experience. And it was everything that I thought it could be. So the one thing that I'm going to, I got to get into Alex about New Hampshire was the chance to, to meet Dale Jr. Quickly. He okay. took my picture on his phone. Now I'm oh, not yeah. going to ask cause he's going to send it to Mike Davis. Now I'm not going to ask Dale Jr. To send me that picture. I'm not going to have Dale Jr.'s number in my phone. Um, I just thought it was a cool moment. He was super cool about it. Um, so I said, I asked Mike, I said, Hey, you know, I was that guy at New Hampshire that Dale sent you a picture. And he said, hold on. 
he scrolled all the way back through his texts and said, oh, here it is, and sent it over to me. So now I have I have that picture. I have that memory that I can save. Um, in talking, we, you know, I was actually wearing the shirt and talking about, you know, working up at Stafford. And I said, uh, kind of jokingly, like, I get a lot of airtime from all the wrecks on Flow TV. You can see my helmet. I'll, I'll be happy to put, I have a couch racer sticker up there, and I'll put the Dirty Mo sticker on there, too. And he said, hey, absolutely. So when I get back, you know, send me a message and I'll, I'll send it up to you. So a couple days go by and a, um, a package arrives at my house. Some package, like, man, did I get like every sticker ever made? Um, I thought I was going to get like an envelope. <laughs> yeah. So I open up this box and in the box is a signed, get right up there. Oh, yeah. Signed by Dale Jr. himself. This was not something I asked for, um, but what an amazing, just genuine thing to to have sent me. Now, what didn't come were the stickers. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I sent another message and I, I said, um, man, I can't believe that I got a signed bottle of High Rock, but I, I didn't get the sticker. So um, I got an email from the assistant. They made right by, you know, this is a guy that doesn't, need some you know some nobody you know bothering him all the time but he made good on the promise um i, I got this bottle that you know will stay stay um I, I did side note i did buy some high rock earlier in the year when i went down to tennessee it is fantastic um but this one's staying this one's staying sealed and uh put away but the, the entire experience um freddie brett tj super super great guys um love the show i love honest opinions that's why i love the uh door bumper clear so much i know that um you know it's <laughs> it's pushed the pushed the line a couple times but i'm here for it you know that's the kind of honest opinion i'm looking for in racing i can get the high level headlines you know but when you really want to get and i'm not going to say the insider um, opinion, but guys that you know that have done this for a number of years and a number of different race teams and a number of different levels, um, you know, hearing TJ's story, hearing Brett's story, I love the activation side. I didn't know any hardly anything about like the sponsor side of things and the business stuff that he gets into. Um, Freddie calls it straight, you know, and it, the the Bubba thing's been, you know, of course, blown out of proportion this week with him and Kyle Larson, but uh, it's um. It's really cool to see someone say, "Hey, when my guy's good, he's good. When my guy's bad, he's bad." And you know, um, I'm I'm all for any time that there's an honest, um, you know, an honest opinion being given. I I can't um, I can't love it anymore. It's it's something that's you know sets my week. On Tuesdays, I listen to the Bumper Clear. On Wednesdays during work, I listen to the download, and that's that's every week. Yeah, well, uh, our uh, our other host Nathan, um, he's the one that that started the podcast with me. I had this thought way back in 2016, but we didn't act on it until last year. Um, we basically based our our stuff around what uh, what wanting to do what Dale Jr. does with industry people but with fans and so that's why we get people like you to come on here and share your stories and stuff like that so um i hope that we've achieved similar level uh because 
you're like a you're like a Kenny Schrader or uh, a Denny Hamlin or a Tyler Reddick to us in our version of what we want to do um, of basically the the fan junior download. Um, and then uh, the DBC guys kind of uh, I, I did want to bring this up. Somebody joked. I think it was Cody Powers or or maybe it was Dalton Good from from the left turn call. Uh, they posted a meme that said uh, host of podcasts, and it's always a, a fat guy with a beard, the redneck, <laughs> and and the stats guy. And, <laughs> and we've got all three of that. Fat guy with the beard, the redneck, and then Nathan, our, uh, our uh, stats guy. And it's just like DBC, and it was – it was just hilarious. So it all comes full circle. Uh, we're massive Dirty Mo fans. Obviously, I'm I'm decked out in merch. I got the Sundrop hat and the who the what the fuck does Kyle Petty have to do with it uh, shirt? So <laughs> one I of think the greatest really, of all time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am so envious of you. Uh, first of all, going to the Bristol Night Race, and and secondly, of getting to do it like that. So I appreciate you uh, taking us through all that. Uh, uh, I think Colt's got some questions about that as well. Um. Uh, yeah, hang on. I was spacing out for a minute. <laughs> I was trying to read. You said you were all set in the chat. Oh no! I mean, I'm, I'm all set out of my story and blew you out. Oh, okay. I'm all set. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. I'm enjoying well. my week off from from hosting. So. That's okay. You do a great job every week when I'm not here. I'm yeah. sorry that my 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 job has gotten in, in front of our our little project here. Uh, but it, it has been a hell of a good two hours. Um, uh, we got some some stuff from fans. Uh, this is uh, Cheyenne. It's your now uh, fiance. Yes. Colton. Yep. Uh, guys have to get mad on again. I could listen to his stories all night. Is great. <laughs> um, I think all she's doing is echoing what what Colton and I are thinking. Yeah. Um, it's been fantastic. We didn't get into the iRacing stuff. We didn't get into ends down to your jobs we didn't get into stuff you've seen at loudon um so we've got a part two uh ready whenever you are um but the second hardest question i ask uh everybody uh i start with the first and i end with the last is do you have any genuine questions for us before we leave um again you got to put me on the spot um yeah no the first one that's the point man First one, that's those are easy questions. Uh, talking about things you've done, I mean, that's that's the, the easiest thing there is. Um, not for you guys, I guess the question would be, where do you see yourself going with this? Do you do you ex- want to expand the podcast? Do you want to, you know, get to the point where you've got you know drivers and um, you know national level? I'm not saying it's got to be the Cup, Xfinity, or you know, Camping World slash Craftsman Truck drivers. Um, you know, local people, local drivers, just trying to put themselves and their names out there. Uh, we've talked about so many different series of racing. Everybody's looking to get their, you know, a little brand logo time on screen. It doesn't matter, big, small, middle, indifferent. When you're out there and you're putting yourself out there, you get noticed. And if you're if you're putting the on-track action to get yourself noticed and you do a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff, like how many people are Tyler Reddick fans now because he's opening up and being like this, you know, cool, funny dude? Yeah. You know, so if you guys are looking to expand that, then I guess that'd be my question. Are you are you looking to go, you know, take a take a step in a different direction? Well, I mean, uh, we've already had uh, plenty of guys. We've had dirt guys on here. We've had Xfinity guys on here. 
my biggest goal um, is for myself personally is consistency. Um, and that is making sure that we've got everything out on all our modes um, each week and not just letting the excuse of my schedule is shit get in the way uh, of, of, of getting stuff out. Um, I'm very proud of where we've come in the short year and a half that we've been doing this. Uh, we have five guys on tap to be hosts every, every in our, in our rotation. Um, so um, we've got the content. It's getting it to the people and getting people to watch. That's, that's the goal is, is making that broader spectrum. Uh, sure. Because I know as a unit, our two base types of shows where it's reactionary or, or interviews like this one, we are the gold standard. And I will confidently say that, but when it comes to marketing ourselves, um, getting our name out there, or as far as me editing and everything like that, where the bar is 15 foot of where we are right now. So that's for me is that's my goal. Cool. Well, I think, yeah. you know, what I did with a download and door bumper clear, you know, in the off season, I went back and listened to all the ones that I hadn't listened to before. So mm -hmm. now I'm going to do the same with this. I'm going to go back and listen to past episodes and, you know, catch people on here with different stories to tell and different perspectives on things. And, you know, take that all as, uh, you know, just racing information is like you said, we're all fans. We're all racing fans of uh, in one way, shape or yeah. form. So we're all in this big giant fraternity of, uh, of people because we all have a passion for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess just, I mean, more folks like yourself, I mean, like Alex said, the Dale Jr. Download does a great job of um, highlighting the industry leaders and some of the legends of, of NASCAR. But, you know, we kind of want to get into the smaller folks who have, you know, a million different stories about, um, you know, getting a picture taken on Dale Jr.'s phone or um, Owen, Owen Kearns saying that he just kind of bluffed what was at the time the closest finish in NASCAR history and made up a number about it. So, like, some of those stories are pretty damn cool. Um, I'd really just like to get more of those out, um, regardless of – I mean, obviously, the goal is to get a, a good audience and not have to have a day job. Um, yeah, obviously. Clear. But, yeah, but I mean, all in all, if, you know, 20 years later we look back on it and I all I got was a million and a half good racing stories out of it. I, I can tell you, for me, um, personally, what we're doing is working on the content side, like I said. But what I'm most proud of is having for you, for whoever else comes on here, something to look back on and say, okay, I can show this to other people and they can see where I'm coming from, stuff like that. Um, recently, we lost uh, the World of Outlaws, Dirt Lake Models uh, <clears throat> announcer, Rick Eshelman. He was a big part of my life. He was a big part of my dad's life. We had him on here. Uh, probably two or three wee weeks after he was announced to be going into the National Dirt Lake Model Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And we just sat down for an hour and a half, two hours, just like we are right now, and talked about stuff no one would ever know about, uh, from, from personal stories, from stories with me and my dad in them. Um, and I know now that somebody can know Rick without knowing Rick because we've put out Rick's yes. personality. And Great that's point. what... And, and, you know, you, 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 uh, you see Mike Joy every Sunday or whatever, but, uh, and, and, and to an extent, Rick Eshelman's name was known. Um, but 
when I say Matt Yost to anybody, they're not gonna know who you are. Nope. Um, and that's no that's that's no like dig on you, but now they're gonna have a perspective of this guy from Connecticut who's got a familial past in uh, in a in a f- uh, flying who's putting basically engine programs into our fighter jets yeah. is also going and having fun doing the same thing that we do. So it's kind of like this big con- yeah. encompassing circle. I'll tell you what, the next time you'll get to, um, you get the story of how I got the uh, nickname, the donkey. That's right. um, oh, that okay. a pretty good story. I'll hold you we're, to that. <laughs> we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to do that. Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess this is a good place to end it. Uh, we got uh, a little bit less than five minutes uh, before we cap the uh, two hour mark. Um, Colton, uh, do we want to go ahead and try to uh, pseudo announce uh, what we want to do next week? So this is still in the works. I've got one confirmed for it. But next week, um, I think before we get into all the championship and season recaps and the offseason stuff, while Kyle is still in the 18 car, I think we need to have a rowdy roundup. And we need to get as many rowdy fans on here as we can possibly hold with StreamYard. And we need to have a little rowdy roundup. Ashton O'Neill was on our stream during the 36-hour live stream that we did. Um, he was a fan that we met down in the pits of Atlanta, down in the garage. He's a huge rowdy fan. Um, we're going to have him on. I'm going to talk to Dalton Good, see if he can't be on. Um, so if any rowdy fans are out there listening, we want to have you on next week to do a rowdy roundup Absolutely. and kind of a little send-off for the 18 M&M's car. I think yeah. it would be so cool to do. Yeah, so uh... – that's basically what we're going to want to do. Uh, roundup. Roundup. I don't know what kind of Wildman speak that is. <laughs> Rowdy Roundup uh, is what we're going to try and do next week. Um, we can probably get those two definitely on. I'm sure my dad will want to be on there. He's a massive yep. Kyle Busch fan. Um, it should be fun. Just kind of reminiscing over the 18 uh, from the first one in Atlanta to whatever happens the next three weeks of the season we'll treat him with a better send-off than uh joe gibbs will so yeah that's what we want to do uh colton will be in charge of that i will be at work as always i want to thank you one more time uh matt for coming on it has been a hell of a show i told people uh when preparing for this this is probably going to be one of the top five shows of the year you definitely hit that mark uh we cannot wait to have you on again uh, yeah thank and- you guys um you know, Alex, like you said, we got we hooked up on the um, on the sim racing deal, and yeah. you know, you get a little bit of talk in there. But uh, you know, I got to learn more about about you, your past. Um, great to meet you, Colton. Great to meet more more race fans, and I'll be happy to uh, you know to have a round two, three, ten, whatever. You know, yeah, um, yeah I'm, up. I'm if it's for racing, I'm in. Sign me up. Hell yeah. Uh- there's no way we don't do that because uh, this is one of the, one of the one of the best things, and I know there's plenty more of us to talk about. As always, guys, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at FanFuel MSM Capital F Capital F Capital MSM. We got some stuff coming in the works. We told you about with next week's show at 7 p.m. Our new uh, nightly standard, uh, and that is for our newest host Keith and. Uh, Other than that, I think we're good for tonight. So, once again, Matt, thank you for coming out. And uh, we will see you guys next time. All right. Bye.